Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always try, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our friend, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his will, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Well, this morning I want you to uh, imagine something with me. Uh, I want you to imagine that classic hospital scene. Uh, you know, someone is rushed to hospital after suffering a cardiac arrest. Uh, he has a slight pulse. But as he is brought in, the line on that monitor starts to flatline and things go from bad to worse. Uh, it's a code blue type of situation. And so uh, all the doctors and nurses drop everything that they're doing. Uh, they rush over. Uh, the doctor gets the defibrillator out. Uh, and after charging it, he yells, clear. Everyone stands back. The doctor administers the shock. And thankfully, after a brief moment, the pulse returns and the patient has been shocked back to life. Now, this morning we're looking at uh, Psalm 103, and uh, I want to suggest that this is the kind of psalm that is designed to help people whose worship of God seems to be flatlined. Uh, this is the kind of psalm that's designed to help people whose worship of God seems to be flatlined. Uh, it's the kind of psalm that is designed to stir up God's people who may be struggling to worship God so that their worship might be healthy again. How is 
is the state of your worship of God at the moment? If your worship was uh, measured on one of those hospital monitors, uh, will it have a vigorous heartbeat? Or is it in danger of flatline? Uh, I suspect that many of us are feeling very weary as we enter into our third year of pandemic. And our worship of God might seem very dry and barren and lifeless. And we are in desperate need of encouragement this morning. Or perhaps in reality, uh, your worship of God uh, has been like this for many years. And you have resigned yourself to just you know, going through the motions in your Christian life and in your worship with God. Now, whatever the case might be, uh, I want to suggest that in Psalm 103, uh, God wants to stir us up to a proper worship of Him, to kind of work in our hearts, uh, to give us a, a, a desire to, to worship Him and to praise Him in our lives. Well, if you come to the psalm itself, uh, you can see that this is a psalm that is written by King David. And uh, he writes this psalm to stir himself up to a proper worship of God. Uh, in verse 1, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And again, in the very last verse of the psalm, he says the same thing. Bless the Lord, O my soul. You see, he speaks to his very own soul telling himself to bless and praise and worship God in his life, you see. But you know, the Bible assumes that we speak to ourselves. And it's true, isn't it? I mean, animals don't speak to themselves. Um, I don't think my pet dog sits at home having conversations with herself about uh, the meaning of life and her identity and the kind of life she should be living. But you and I are very different, aren't we? We speak to ourselves. We have conversations with ourselves. We try to convince ourselves of things. And here, David intentionally speaks to himself. For the worship of God is a very intentional thing. Uh, if you've been struggling in your worship of God for a while, well, perhaps it may be because you haven't been very intentional in wanting to worship God in your life. But what does it mean to bless God, bless the Lord? I mean, it's easy to understand uh, God blessing us, isn't it? It means that uh, we benefit from the things that God graciously gives to us, whether uh, they be material things or, or spiritual things. But what does it mean for human beings to bless God? Well, I reckon uh, blessing the Lord is also about giving God something. But what do you give God that He doesn't already have? I mean, this is the God who created everything in this world and owns everything in this world. What can you and I possibly give to God that He would want that He doesn't already have? Well, I think you can see the answer in verse 1. 
If you have a look at verse 1, David speaks there about worshipping God with all that is within me. All that is within me. In other words, blessing God is about giving God your whole self, which is the proper worship of God, isn't it? In the language of the Apostle Paul, it's about presenting your whole body to God as a living sacrifice. But it's not just about giving God the externals, but everything that is within you as well. It's about submitting our mind and our will and emotions to God so that He has every part of us. Your false worship is about simply giving God the externals, while internally uh, we have our own agenda for for our own lives. But true worship is actually submitting everything, not just the externals, but what goes on inside of us as well, submitting those things to God. However, notice that worship is not just about, you know, speaking to myself and stirring myself up and trying to manufacture this artificial kind of enthusiasm for God. For you can see that in this psalm that what David does is he stirs himself up to worship in God. How? Well, it's by reminding himself of everything that God has done for him. He says to himself in verse 2, uh, forget not all his benefits. Uh, you know, uh, Derek uh, reminded us that we are a very forgetful people, uh, are we? Uh, we forget lots of things. Uh, I once forgot to uh, take one of my children home after church. <laughs> uh, has anyone, any other parent done that before? Um, and, uh, you know, when I got home, I had this nagging feeling that it was just something that I had missed or forgotten before I realized that uh, it was my son who was sitting right there that I left that church. But more importantly, uh, we are people who are very prone to forgetting what God has done for us. Is that right? And so the Bible frequently calls us to remember and to bring to mind intentionally all the things that God has done for us, all of God's benefits to us. Uh, what are the things that God has done? Well, uh, you can see for David, um, the things listed there, can't you? In verse 3, it's the forgiveness of all iniquity. It's the healing of all diseases. In verse 4, it's God saving him from the pit. Um, if you know the story of David, you can actually um, place all these benefits to specific times in David's life, I think. For example, what happens after David commits the unspeakable sin of adultery with Bathsheba and then goes on to murder her husband Uriah? Well, God graciously forgives all his iniquity, doesn't he? And what happens after God sends pestilence to Israel after, he, uh, after David commits his sin? Well, God graciously heals David and all of Israel by taking away the pestilence. What happens when again and again David is on the run, uh, fearful of his life as uh, King Saul and his own son Absalom try to kill him? 
Well, God rescues him again and again and again from the pit of death, doesn't he? But it's not only that God drags David out of trouble, but he also gives David good things. In verse 4, he crowns or he literally covers David with steadfast love and mercy. In verse 4, again, he satisfies him with good things that he might have youthful strength like the eagle. Now, the eagle is the, the symbol of strength uh, and might and, and, and freedom, isn't it? Uh, if you think of strength and might and freedom uh, in terms of birds, uh, you think of the e- eagle, you don't think of the pelican, uh, you think of the eagle, for that is what the eagle represents. I want to ask, if David can stir himself up to worship God uh, by recalling all the benefits that he has received from God's gracious hand, then how much more reason do we have to praise and worship God for all the benefits that we have received in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ? For it is through Jesus that you and I have been forgiven all of our sins at the cross. It is in Jesus that you and I have the promise of healing from all our diseases. This, of course, is not a promise that God will will heal every disease in the here and now. But it is that wonderful promise that a day is coming when all of our diseases will be cleansed and healed and death will be no more. Further, it is in Christ that we have been rescued thoroughly from the pit of hell itself so that we might not be eternally punished for the sins, for our sins, in the way that we deserve. Further, it's through Christ that we have the promise that one day we will be crowned in God's kingdom where every longing of our hearts will be satisfied by God and uh, our bodies will be renewed and strengthened and reinvigorated like the eagle soaring through the skies. It is the kind of glory and satisfaction and strength that we can only dream about. And it is the kind of glory and satisfaction and strength that is in the future we have a taste of, even in the here and now, as we enjoy a right relationship with God and His people. Friends, if your worship of God seems to be flat lightning, then take a leaf out of David's book. Speak to yourself. Don't forget all the benefits God has given you in Christ. Be intentional about it. Reminding yourself of these things, not thinking that true worship will just come automatically sometime in your life without any effort on your part and on my part. Where are the times and places where you intentionally seek to remind yourself of all of God's benefits to you? So that you might be stirred up to give yourself wholeheartedly. In your worship of God. Where are the times and places that that happens? 
to do that with. You want to have more than anything. We learn in Canada as we intentionally remind ourselves and speak to ourselves about these things. Well, uh, in the next part of the psalm, I want you to see that there's a bit of a change. For uh, no longer does David speak about the benefits uh, he has received from God personally, but he speaks about the benefits that the entire people of God have received from God in the past. And notice that he, he, he moves from using the language of me and my and you in the singular to the language of us and our and we, which is uh, much more corporate in its, in, in, in its direction, isn't it? It's as though David is taking the role of a worship leader calling on God's people, all of God's people, to remember and worship God in a corporate way. Now, what does David want all of Israel to remember? Well, it's quite clear that David has in mind uh, the Exodus event here, where, if you remember, God showed his faithfulness and his justice to the people of Israel who were in slavery in Egypt. And that's why in verse 6 he speaks about uh, all those who are oppressed. He's speaking about all of Israel who were oppressed under the slavery imposed on them by Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. But more specifically, what David has in mind here is the golden calf incident, which happened soon after the Exodus. Do you remember the scandalous thing that happened? You know, God brings his people graciously, mercifully, out of slavery from Egypt. And he brings them to, to Mount Sinai where he wants to enter into a covenant with them, a little bit like a marriage. But what did Israel do? Well, they betrayed God by worshipping the golden calf. What Israel did was really like a wife sleeping with another man on her wedding night. But here's the thing. Such is the character of God that even though his people spurned his love and betrayed him, well, he was able to show grace and mercy. And you see a reference to this in verses 7 and 8 where it says that God made his ways known to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. It's actually a reference to God revealing himself to Moses at the Exodus, well, after the golden calf incident uh, in Exodus 34, where despite the sin of Israel, do you remember uh, how God reveals himself to, to, to Moses? Do you remember uh, what he says to Moses? Well, he says, I am the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Notice this isn't saying that God doesn't get angry. You know, so many people think that God cannot get angry because that would mean that God is not a God of love. My friends, anger is not the opposite of love. Indifference is actually the opposite of love. 
see, if a husband finds out that his wife has been cheating on him with another man on their, we- on their wedding night, and he doesn't get angry about that, well, there's something wrong, isn't there? It probably means that he didn't even love her in the first place. But if he did love her, then he would get rightly angry. And in a similar way, God gets rightly angry when his people betray him because he loves his people so passionately. However, God's anger is not like our anger, which seems to flare up very quickly and is usually all out of proportion with, with the reality of what is happening. I mean, how many of us get angry about um, the bad driving of other people and uh, act as if, the, you know, it's the, it's the end of the world? <laughs> Rather, God's anger is slow and measured and in proportion to what he is getting angry about. Further, God's anger is able to be turned away, which is, which is what happened in the case of Israel as God turned his anger away with the mediation of Moses. And here's the wonderful thing. After God's anger is turned away from his people, well, he doesn't remain angry with them. He's not like us, you know. We like to nurse our anger, don't we? We like to feed our anger. We like to feel justified in our anger just by hanging on to it. But God is different. For in verse 9 it says, He does not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. Miraculously, this is exactly what happened with Israel. Rather than destroying the people of Israel in His anger as they deserved, well, verse 10 says that God did not deal with them as their sins deserved. Why? Well, it's because God's love is so committed to his people that not even the sin and betrayal of his people is able to break that love of God. Uh, you know, my youngest daughter has been asking me from a very early age, uh, Daddy, how much do you love me? She usually asks me this after she's done something wrong. <laughs> and uh, I still do this thing where I, I stretch my hands as far as it will go with one hand and as low as it will go with another. And I say, darling, I, I love you this much. Or I stretch out my hand in this direction as far as it will go and the other hand in that direction as far as it will go. And I say, darling, I love you this much. Psalm 103 is a I love you this much kind of passage. David reminds us in verses 11 and 12 that God's commitment and love towards his sinful and wayward and deeply flawed people is as high as the mountains or the, as high as the heavens are above the earth. And that he removes their sin from them as far as the east is from the west. This is God saying to these people, I love you this much. Of course, for us, we, we see the commitment and love of God towards sinful people like us most clearly at the cross than 
For that is where the Son of God stretched out his hands, as they were nailed to a cross of wood. And that is where Jesus gave his very own life to pay the ultimate price for your sin and my sin. To remove the penalty as far away from us as possible. And that is where Jesus, with his arms stretched out wide, said, I love you this much. Because the thing I want you to see very clearly this morning is that true worship of God is not simply a personal and individualistic thing, but a corporate thing. A true worship of God doesn't just delight in recalling God's benefits just to myself, but it delights in God's grace and mercy and generosity to others who are also part of the people of God. That's what David does here. How delighted I am that God has shown his goodness not only to me but to you as well. How I desire not only my own growth in worshiping God in my own life, but that you would also grow in worshiping God in your life. How I long not only to call myself to worship, but to call you to worshiping God. And how broken hearted I am when I see people around me. Not worshiping God in the way they able to. Uh, I might be preaching to the choir here because, you know, you're a church. And I assume that you're here because you want to delight in God's goodness to you. And you want to help others to delight in God as you do. But I just want to say that private Christianity that seeks to live a from the community of God is not Christianity at all. A private Christian who does not participate in the local gathering of God's people and has no interest in the Christian welfare of others is not Christian at all. For God has not only shown his benefit to us individually, but he has corporately shown the people of God his love and mercy. Are you and I people who are committed not only to our own growth and our own worship, but to the worship of others by participating in the life of the local church? Are you committed to encouraging others in God's family to worship God? How are you doing that in your life? How are you seeking not just to benefit yourself, but to benefit others in their knowledge and worship of God. Friends, did you notice that there is one other reason given in this passage for why we ought to worship God? One other reason. It's because whilst our lives are weak and fragile and transient in this world, God's love for his people is actually everlasting. You see it there where, where David speaks about the fragility of life. Um, you can see there in verse 14 that he says that we are simply dust. That's why God shows compassion on us. It's because he knows that we are weak and fragile and uh, our sagging bodies are returning back to the dust. But 
the ground. In a similar way, verse 15 says that we are like the grass of the field or the, or the flower in your flower bed. Uh, you know, we've had so much rain the last uh, in a few weeks that uh, up until uh, a few days ago, my garden was like a jungle. And uh, I noticed that uh, all these dandelions were, were kind of sprouting up and actually looked quite beautiful from a distance. But all it takes is a gust of wind uh, to take those flowers away, They're actually here one minute and gone the next. That's what our lives are like, friends. It's here today and gone tomorrow. And that's why this part of Psalm 103 is often read at funerals. Uh, you know, I read uh, these particular verses in this psalm at the gravesite of our dear brother John Paramala, who most of you know died last month. Now, John lived for 71 years before returning to the dust. But it really is a short time, isn't it? Just ask his family who would desperately want a few more years with him. And yet he flourished for a little while, and then he was gone. As we will, as will we. But here's the thing, friends. What this psalm reminds us of is that although we are weak and transient and fragile, God's steadfast love never ceases towards his people. Now, if you are a careful reader of the Bible, you may have noticed that there is one phrase that is repeated again and again in this psalm. Uh, it's the phrase, steadfast love. Is there in verse 17? Is there in verse 11? Is there again in verse 8? And in verse 4? It's a word that speaks of God's commitment to his people in keeping his promises to his people at great cost to himself. And here what we are told is that this steadfast and committed love of God is from everlasting to everlasting. That is, even though you and I will die and return to the dust, God is committed to his people even beyond the grave. But here's the problem. Notice that God's steadfast love in verse 17 is for those who fear God in their lives. In verse 18, it is for those who keep God's covenant and do his commandments. In other words, God's steadfast love is for those who are righteous in God's sight. You see the problem? How will you and I experience God's committed love beyond the grave if we are none of these things? I mean, can you claim to be righteous in this way? Not even King David feared God all the time, nor did he keep God's commandments all the time, especially the one about adultery and murder. If even the great King David could not be righteous, then what hope is there for you and me? 
this, but uh, the great King David was just a preview of an even greater king to come. The true King David, if you like. That king, of course, was the Son of God, Jesus himself. He was the one who truly feared God and lived his life in reverence and submission to his Father. He was the one who kept the covenant and fulfilled all the commandments. He was the only righteous one who deserved to be remembered by God beyond the grave. And yet, when he came into this world, he took our sin upon himself and died on the cross in our place so that we might have his righteousness. As Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, for Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he, must, that he might bring us to God. You see, that's the only reason why God will be committed to us forever, even the other grave, is because of the righteousness of our Lord Jesus. It's because He died for our sins and rose again from the grave to be the King of God's kingdom. That you and me who trust in Him can be confident that God will remember us beyond the grave. If you have not yet put your trust in Jesus and given Him your praise and worship, then God will not remember you beyond the grave. But if you have put your trust in Jesus and given Him your praise and worship as the King of God's kingdom who rules your life, then you have every reason to praise and honor God this morning. Because God's steadfast love Well, in the final part of this psalm, what we see is David calling on the whole cosmic order to join in the worship of God. Now, in verse 20, David calls upon the angels to worship God. In verse 21, he calls upon God's hosts, which are, I think is a reference to the stars and the planets that do God's bidding. He calls on even the stars and the planets to, to bless God and to worship Him. In verse 22, he calls upon all God's works, including all of humanity, to bless the Lord and worship Him. For you see, if you and I really understand and experience the steadfast love of the Lord, then we cannot help but call on others to also praise and worship God. That's how good news works, isn't it? It's like that with anything that is good news. So, friends, how is your worship of God? Is it flatlining? Does it need something like a defibrillator to bring it back to life? This is a psalm that teaches us to speak to ourselves, to preach to ourselves and to remind ourselves of all that God has done for us, all the benefits of God that have been given to us in our Lord Jesus, so that we can indeed be stirred up to worship God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is a psalm that reminds us to see 
just how God, that how good God has been. And not only to us individually, but to us as the people of God. So that we might bless His holy name. This is the sound that reminds us of the steadfast love of the Lord from everlasting to everlasting. So that we might call on all of creation to bless His name. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word to us this morning. And thank you for the reminder of your extraordinary goodness to us in our Lord Jesus. And thank you for the forgiveness of all our sins that we enjoy in Him. We thank you for the promise of all our diseases being healed. And we thank you for the wonderful rescue that we have had through the death for us on the cross. And Father, we pray that you would help us to not forget your steadfast love towards us. And we pray that you would help us to be a people that are regularly reminded of your goodness, not only in our individual devotion to you, but in the way we help each other to be reminded of your goodness in a corporate way, so that we might be stirred up to praise and worship you with all that is within us. And Father, please forgive us for so often giving you half-hearted praise and worship. Please change us by the power of your Spirit so that our faith might be fanned into flame to praise you and to worship you with all that we have and to call on those who do not know you to join us in this wonderful worship. We pray this in Jesus' name.